Well, good morning. Time to be uh, back into Exodus for, for one final time. Uh, so please uh, open your Bibles. Anyone remember what happened last time? I know that's a bit of an unfair question. Just try and make the link. Or anything that's happened in the last kind of few, few occasions. I suspect it as much. So it's kind of, it's, it's, if you feel like me, you kind of got completely out of the Exodus groove. Um, we'll get back into it today and we'll, and we'll kind of finish it off. Um, looking back, you, you remember there were, there were a whole bundle of chapters, weren't there, about three or four weeks ago, about the, about the design uh, for, for the tabernacle. God gave uh, Israel really uh, specific instructions about uh, how to, uh, what they were to build. Well, what we're going to do today is just pick up on some of what Israel are doing now. What happened in the meantime uh, was, was that kind of um, slightly embarrassing incident with the golden ball. Okay, and you remember uh, the, the amazing thing uh, Aaron did. He said, oh, he said, I, I threw this gold in the fire and out came this calf. And, uh, and then we looked a little bit about Moses kind of uh, seeking... To, to meet God in his glory. Well, t- today we're kind of back at the tabernacle. And I'm going to read you just a little bit from uh, chapter 35, verse 4, uh, just to get a feel for what happened. We, we can't, there's no way we can read now 35 all the way through to 40. But let me just read you some bits from Exodus 35. Moses said to the whole Israelite community, this is what the Lord has commanded From what you have, take an offering for the Lord. Everyone who is willing is to bring to the Lord an offering of gold, silver and bronze, blue, purple and scarlet yarn and fine linen, goat hair, ram skins dyed red and other types of durable leather, acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and the breastplate. All who are skilled among you are to come and make everything the Lord has commanded. The tabernacle with its tent and its covering, clasps, frames, crossbars, posts and bases. The ark with its poles, the atonement cover and the curtain that shields it. The table with its poles and all its articles and the bread of the presence. The lampstand that is for light with its accessories, lamps and oil uh, for the light. The altar of incense with its poles, the anointing oil and the fragrant incense. The curtain for the doorway at the entrance to the tabernacle. The altar of burnt offering with its bronze grating, its poles and all its utensils. The bronze basin with its stand. The curtains of the courtyard with its posts and bases. And the curtain for the entrance to the courtyard. The tent pegs for the tabernacle for the courtyard and their ropes. The woven garments worn for ministering in the sanctuary. Both the sacred garments for Aaron the priest and the garments for his sons when they serve as priests. And then the whole Israelite community withdrew from Moses' presence and everyone who was willing and whose heart moved them came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work on the tent of meeting, for all its service and for the sacred garments. All who were willing, men and women alike, came and brought gold jewellery of all kinds, brooches, earrings, rings and ornaments. They all presented their gold Uh, as a wave offering to the Lord. Everyone who had blue, purple, or scarlet yarn, or fine linen, or goat hair, ramskins dyed red, or other durable leather, brought them. And those presenting an offering of silver or bronze brought it as an offering to the Lord. And everyone who had acacia wood for any part of the work brought it. 
And every skilled woman spun with her hands and brought what she had spun, blue, purple, or scarlet yarn, uh, or fine linen. And all the women who were willing and had the skill spun the goat hair. The leaders brought onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and the breast piece. They also brought spices and olive oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. And all the Israelite men and women who were willing brought to the Lord free will offerings for all the work the Lord through Moses had commanded them to do. It's a little bit of a change of heart, isn't it? And then Moses said to the Israelites, See, the Lord has chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of artistic crafts. And he has given both him and Aholiab, son of Ahissamach of the tribe of Dan, the ability to teach others. And he has filled them with skill to do all kinds of work as engravers, designers, embroiderers in blue, purple and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, and weavers, all of them skilled workers and designers. So Bezalel and Aholiab and every skilled person to whom the Lord has given skill and ability to know how to carry out all the work of constructing the sanctuary are to do the work just as the Lord has commanded. And then just kind of like, if you've got a Bible in front of you, just flick, flick through and, and you'll, see, uh, you'll see what happens. So Bezalel and Aholiab um, get to work and they teach other people and so we see them then build the tabernacle. And if you read this, what you will find is this is pretty much exactly parallel to the instructions we had before. It's just in a different order. I think from before, it sort of worked from the inside out. Uh, the instructions were given from the inside of the tab- tabernacle outwards. And now we get these in kind of chronological order. But what do they do? They go ahead and they, and they build the tabernacle. So... Uh, and then they build the ark... Verse 30, uh, chapter 37. They build the table, 37.10. Build the lampstand, 37.17. They build the altar of incense, 37.25. Chapter 38, they build the altar of burnt offering. Then they build the basin for the washing. And then they make the courtyard. And then we get at the end of chapter 8 a little kind of summary of the, of the materials that have been used. Um, and then they make uh, the ephod and the breast piece and the other garments. And look, there's chapters and chapters of this stuff. Uh, um, but the point is they make it at this point now precisely as they were told to do. Precisely as they were uh, told to do. So in, in kind of 39, 32, Moses, in, uh, all the work of the tabernacle, the tent of the meeting was completed. The Israelites did everything just as the Lord had commanded Moses. And then there's a little passage there where they bring it before Moses, and Moses checks that it's all been made, um, as he was told. So, so you get an account of it being made as they've been told. You get an account of Moses checking that it's been made, um, as, as they were told. Um, and then in chapter 40, Moses sets it up. Um, and all through, all through that chapter, uh, picking up verse 16, Moses did everything just as the Lord commanded him. This is chapter 40. Um, verse 19 
He put the tabernacle out as the Lord commanded him, verse 21. He brought the ark in as the Lord commanded him, verse 23. Set out the bread as the Lord commanded him, verse 25. Set up the lamps as the Lord commanded him, verse 27. He burned fragrant incense as the Lord commanded him, verse 29. Set up the altar of burnt offering and burnt burnt offerings on it as the Lord commanded him, Um, Verse uh, 33, well, 32. They washed as the Lord commanded them. 33, Moses set up the courtyard. And so Moses finished his work. And then what happens? This is the key. So chapter 40, verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And in all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they didn't set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day and fire was in the cloud by night in the sight of all the Israelites during all their travels. Let's pray. Father God, we want you to be with us uh, this morning. We want the cloud to be with us. We want you to be here by, uh, by your Holy Spirit. And Lord, we want a touch of glory. In other words, Lord, we want to, uh, this morning to see for a moment, see you as you really are. And we want to, to know you, uh, the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. We just thank you for that story and it just gives us a a glimpse of your glory, and Lord, we ask for a further glimpse of your glory as we come to the end of Exodus today. We want to know that we've been in your presence, we've looked on your glory. And we want to be changed. As we look on you, we pray, Lord, as we look on you and hear your word, that you will change us by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, for the last time, why did we look? Why did we turn to Exodus? Simple answer, we turned to Exodus to see Jesus. And I hope you're convinced along the way that you have seen Jesus, you have seen Christ in in Exodus. Uh, And this was the verse with which we started. Uh, It's Jesus um, speaking to the, uh, the two disciples he meets on the Emmaus Road. He says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So we, we started with that promise of Jesus, um, that the scriptures, all the scriptures, the law and the prophets uh, and the writings speak about him. So, where have you seen Jesus? On this one I will, you know, ask you for an answer. Where have you seen Jesus in Exodus? Sorry? All through it. All through it. <laughs> Fantastic. Well done. Uh, give me an example. Water from the rock. Okay, living water. Who calls, us Je- who calls Jesus living water? He does himself, thank you. Jesus himself calls himself living water, water struck from the rock. Any others? Manna. Yeah, what does Jesus call himself? Bread of life. So Jesus himself calls himself bread of life. Um, yeah, in the manna, thank you. Others? Blood of the Lamb, yeah, we call him the Lamb. 
all the time. And it's just so central, isn't it? So core that, that he is the lamb and the blood of the lamb on, on, on the doorpost. We come back to that again. Uh, John the Baptist calls him uh, the lamb. There, there are others, aren't there? Perhaps, perhaps you know, we call him a, uh, the great high priest. Well, what would we mean by priest if we hadn't seen it there in Exodus? And actually, Jesus himself calls himself um, the temple. What would we know about that if we didn't see it uh, started back here uh, in Exodus? So there are words, key words, actually, that Jesus uses, that the New Testament uses, uh, which really are essentially come uh, right back from Exodus. So today, as we said, after this... um, uh, Debacle with the uh, golden, golden bull. We're, we're back with the tabernacle. And after failing so spectacularly, Israel now obey instructions to the letter. Now, you may remember, we go back kind of, we looked at the tabernacle before, and that's because if you read these chapters, they would sound very familiar um, to, to chapter 25 and onwards, which we've, which we've read before. We've, we've been here before. Uh, with the tabernacle, and we said before that it kind of harks back to Eden. Tabernacle is like a little bit of kind of heaven on earth. And it's not there simply for some nostalgia to let them know what they've forgotten. It's there to point to the future, that God is one day going to create heaven on earth. Again, a little reminder. And so in the tabernacle, if you remember, there is the ark. It's essentially God's throne. So heaven on earth is the place where God reigns. There is the table and the bread. Heaven on earth is where God sits down and eats with his people. There is the lamp. Heaven on earth is where the tree of, uh, the tree of life is and where God gives light. There is the law. Heaven on earth is, is the place where everything works as it's supposed to, supposed to work. And there is a priest. Heaven on earth is when people can go freely um, into God's presence unrestrictedly by means of sacrifice, by means of the bloodshed. So before we had it described, instructed, now we have it actually built uh, by Israel. And now that, they've, uh, now that they have done their part, now they have done as instructed, what happens it is it is filled with the glory of God. It is filled with the glory of God. So the tabernacle is this little piece uh, of heaven on earth. And what I want to do for a moment is just trace, trace this picture of heaven on earth, which is actually, trace this picture of God's temple all, all the way through the scriptures. So let's move on to the next slide and just kind of put this in perspective. Because where does the presence of God start? Well, God obviously uh, starts in his own presence in heaven. So God is in heaven is where this starts. But then as God creates, God is then present on earth uh, with his people. God is present with Adam and, Adam and Eve. So at that point, essentially, uh, all uh, the garden is kind of heaven on earth. And then we've seen, because Adam and Eve were expelled from the garden, God has come and chosen a new people, and he's now uh, become and been present with them on Mount Sinai. Do you remember him eating with the elders, that, little, that amazing picture of him eating with the, uh, um, or the elders eating with God, rather, on top of Mount Sinai? So God has come down and been present on Mount Sinai. And now God uh, has brought his presence with Israel in the tabernacle and later on the temple. So God's presence is with his people in the, in the tabernacle and then the temple later on. But what happens, where is... 
But that's not where God's presence stays. In the New Testament, we get this amazing verse that the word becomes flesh and tabernacles with us. In the New Testament, God is present in Jesus. Jesus replaces the temple. Uh, Jesus said, destroy this temple and I'll raise it again in three days. And John comments that the temple he was speaking of was his body. Heaven on earth is now in Christ. And then when Christ has died and been raised, sends his Holy Spirit on, on his people, God's presence is now in you. And in the church, yeah, I'm sure you know these verses, but uh, 1 Corinthians, where Paul says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and God's spirit lives in you? Isn't that an amazing thing this morning as we come together um, as church? Paul says, you yourselves, and he's using a, a plural you there. We, when we come together this morning, we are God's temple and God's, and God's spirit lives in us. And then later on in 1 Corinthians, he says, you. Percy, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? who is in you, who you received from God. So God is now present for those who are in Christ. But then one day, God is going to come back and make everything new and God will be present in heaven on earth. One day he will make a new earth and a new heaven and God will be present so that's the story of God's presence. And in many ways, it's the story of the, of the temple going through, through the Bible. God present in heaven, then on Eden. Then after they're banished back in Mount Sinai, in the tabernacle of the temple, then in Christ, now in the church, and in you, and one day in the whole earth uh, again. So one implication of that is that heaven should look in some ways like the tabernacle or the temple. Or we should have some of these features of the tabernacle. And that's what I want us to do uh, this morning. I want you to turn uh, to the book of Revelation. <coughs> Chapter 21. And just trace some of this through. And kind of it's on page 1249, so stick your finger in 21 verse 1 uh, and just be ready to kind of run down those columns. Um, and I want us, to take this, want us to look at this new creation and see how it fulfills the picture um, that was in the tabernacle. First thing Paul says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had, had passed away. Just the, the first thing we need to say is, is God is not creating a, a floaty heaven where we kind of, you know, all float off and become disembodied spirits. God is planning to create a new creation. This earth uh, will be renewed. And the picture we have here in Revelation is that he will return and be with his people um, on earth. So what did the priesthood point to um, in the tabernacle? It was a picture uh, that human beings could come into the very presence of God uh, by means of sacrifice. Well, what's the first thing that, that, uh, that John says? He says, verse 3, he heard a loud voice, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. The priesthood is fulfilled in, the, in this new creation in, in heaven on earth. Uh, people will walk around 
all day and every day in the presence of God because God will dwell among his people. If we go down to the following uh, next column, verse, verse 16, um, it's a perfect cube. I don't know whether we kind of stress this, but the Holy of Holies uh, in the tabernacle is a perfect cube. It's as wide as it's high as it's long. Uh, and in verse 16, the city is laid out like a square. Um, it's measured, and in verse 16, it's as wide and it's as high and it's as long. It's like, uh, and we're going to be living every day um, in the Holy of Holies, in the very presence of God. Go down a few uh, verses, uh, verse 19. You remember that the, uh, the, the priest went into God's presence um, with those kind of 12 jewels, 12 precious stones, and it, it was a picture of him carrying Israel. Um, here the city is built on the foundations of these precious stones. It's just another of those, of those links because the 12 precious stones represent the, the people of God. Here they're the foundations of the city. There they were carried into God's presence uh, on, on the breastpiece of the priest. Revelation twenty one twenty three says the city doesn't need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and the lamb is its lamp. Well, we saw here, didn't we, it, that as the tabernacle is built precisely to order the, the presence of God, that the glory of God has inhabited that most holy space. Well, here we see that uh, when we have heaven on earth, the glory of God will inhabit it all to an extent that there will be no need uh, of any other kind of light. We won't need the sun, okay? I don't know whether that means we won't have the sun. We won't need the sun because the glory of God will be as bright uh, in the new creation as the sun is now uh, on a bright sunny day. So when you next go out, and I can't, I can't tell you how many weeks ahead this will be, but when you next go out and it's a bright sunny day, you can think, well, in the new creation, the glory of the Lord is, is going to shine um, you know, brighter than the sun does today. It's a fantastic uh, picture. So the glory points to, well, it points to glory. And so we said that this lampstand uh, in, in the tabernacle pointed to a new creation. Uh, it points to uh, the place where God's light is. Well, you just need to read on into verse 24. The nations will walk by its light. By what light? Um, by the, the light of God's glory. And the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it, uh, into this city. We said the lampstand was like the tree of life, which was um, there back in Eden. And, and here it is again um, it, in the new creation. Chapter 22, verse 1. The, the angel that is showing John this um, shows him the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing uh, from the throne of God and from the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city, and on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit and yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. So we have this, the, 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 the tree of life is back. Lost where I was going now. So I think the tree of life was, was this symbol of, of God's gift of, of, of eternal life. And here it is in the new creation. Um, here is the, the, the tree of life. It's yielding fruit. And the fruit brings, uh, fruit brings healing for people. I've missed one out. Um, because the law, uh, the law of God uh, points to 
the place where everything is done right, um, where God is obeyed, where creation is reordered. And that was back in Revelation 1, chapter 26. That the, um, the glory and the honor of the nations come into the city. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in, in the Lamb's book of life. So in the tabernacle, we have, we have the law. And it's a picture of the kind of world as it ought to be. Here is a new creation, and this is the world as it ought to be, because there's nothing impure there. There's no one who does wrong. There's no one who, uh, no one who, who breaks the law in the new creation. And in the same way that the, the law is in the, in the ark, and it is covered, covered by the mercy seat, here again you see that it is covered by the blood of Jesus, because the blood of Jesus... Uh, is the means, isn't it, of being in the Lamb's book of life. I think the, the thing that's not so obvious is, is that new creation ought to be a, a place where God sits down and eats with his people. Um, well, we have the 12 crops of fruit, but also we're just told about in different chapters of Revelation that this is the kind of wedding supper um, of the Lamb. So the new creation is where God will walk and talk and sit down and eat with his people. And finally, the ark was kind of a symbol of the place where, where God reigns. Well, in the, in the new creation, there's no longer any curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. What isn't there? Well, the one thing that isn't there in Revelation twenty one twenty two is there's no temple. Why is there no temple? Because... The Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Are its temple. There's no need of a temple because uh, the presence of God and the Lamb are everywhere. And the sacrifice has been made once for all. What's the use of contemplating heaven? Some people uh, have been described as too heavenly minded for any earthly good. And we, we know what people mean by that. But what use, what use thinking about heaven, heaven on earth? Well, just to do a bit of a double check, really. <coughs> Typically, three ways of thinking about heaven. One is, one is heaven without earth. Some people uh, seem to think that uh, earth will be kind of junked at the end of history uh, and Christians will have a sort of floaty cloud existence with kind of halos and harps. Okay which is only good for those who are guitarists, I think, probably. Um, but if heaven kind of replaces earth, then that, that leads to a tendency of thinking that earth can just be junked and we can treat, treat, uh, treat it as we like. Treat it without concern. Uh, view two is kind of, uh, if that's heaven without earth, view two is earth without heaven. That, I would say, is a kind of non-Christian view. But many people don't believe that there is any kind of afterlife, there is any kind of heaven or life after death, and then they live uh, just for present pleasure, don't they? But very hard, really, not to be drawn into that. Or if they don't live for present pleasure, they live for present pain relief. And again, it's quite easy to get drawn in. But as Christians, we believe that there will be a heaven on earth. There will be new heaven and a new earth. And really helpfully, this from, from Tim Chester uh, out of the Exodus book, he says that allows us to do three things. One is receive this world as a gift from God. 
even two, as we lament its brokenness. And three, we look forward to its transformation. And he suggests kind of three kind of practical responses to those things. If, if earth is a, is a gift, then you can enjoy the good things God has given. Um, God has given us this amazing creation um, and all the things that human beings manage to do with it. Cars and street lamps and homes and uh, fluffy mattresses. And we can enjoy them. Timothy says, every, uh, Paul says, Timothy rather, everything God has created is good and it's nothing to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving. And he says to the Corinthians, those who use these things of the world, it's okay to use the things of these world as if not engrossed in them. So we receive what God's given uh, with thanksgiving, but just not, don't get engrossed in it. And we can celebrate creativity, the kind of creativity that you see in, in Bezalel and Aholiab. They had great crafts to make the tabernacle beautiful. So we can receive what, what's here as a gift. Uh, in other words, you have, but that means stopping to give thanks to God, really, uh, along the way for the good things. And we can celebrate creativity. But along the way, we lament its brokenness. But if we're sad for the brokenness of the world, then we can do something about it. We can act on that in the meantime. If the world's broken, we can, we can have concern for the poor. I don't know where your giving goes. But we've had tear fund, and uh, I hope you show somewhere within your giving some, some concern, either through your giving or in other practical ways, um, to the poor. But it means if this creation is going to be renewed, it means creation has value, um, and we should care for it, even though we know we can't fix it. Um, but if God cares enough to renew it, we should, we should have concern for it too. And if we're looking forward to heaven on earth, then Tim Chester says this translates into proclamation of the gospel. If we know it's going to be made new, if we know that God's going to judge, then it should be on our hearts to take as many people with us as we can do. But I need to move quickly. In the meantime, where is, where is the temple now then? Where is the presence of God? Here. Fantastic. Okay. Uh, yeah, if you think about it, we go back to those things that are in the temple. The ark means this. The church is the place where God reigns. The table means that this is the place where we sit down and we eat with God. We have communion with God. The lampstand means that this is the place from which the gospel shines. This is the place where people can find life, eternal life, a tree of life kind of life in Christ. The law means that this is the place where creation is being reordered, where God's will is being done. And the picture of the priest means this is the place where we can enter God's holy presence. But what about the glory? Very briefly. What preceded the arrival of, of God's glory? What preceded, what, what things happened before God's glory arrived at the very end of Exodus? Let me suggest this. Precision obedience. Israel had sinned mightily, now they obeyed wholeheartedly with precision. Spirit empowering. Uh, those two guys with the funny names uh, were given spiritual gifts and they were given the ability to teach others and the people gave the, the people gave willingly didn't they precision obedience um, spirit gifting 
people giving. That's how the tabernacle was built. But we know, don't we, that that kind of precision obedience was the exception rather than the rule. Uh, Israel proved along the way that it wasn't humanly sustainable. And proved by doing that that a better solution to being right with God was needed. And of course we know that Jesus is that solution. That Jesus has given lifelong um, precision obedience to God. Laid it down as a sacrifice. Being raised to the Father's side. And given it to us, credited it to you and me as a gift. Fantastic. Okay, so the precision obedience you're given as a gift from Christ. Raised by God, God has, uh, Jesus has sent the Holy Spirit. You have that as a gift as well. So those two things that the Israelites had, they, Jesus gives you as a gift. The precision obedience, uh, the, the, the spirit giftedness. And the question is simply, have you received the gifts and are you now uh, willing to give of yourself? We have the joy of, of Christians that are un, under a kind of umbrella of justification, underneath a, a, a shield of guaranteed uh, forgiveness from God. We have the freedom to, to, to bring our gifts, uh, to bring our uh, increased obedience, to, to, to give willingly. to build the kingdom of God and to see the glory of of God come. I'd love to dwell on that further, but we need to move on. Just want you to think for a moment. One thing, just take away, what is the one, what is the biggest thing you've learned from Exodus? Just want you to do business with God. I just want you to literally think that over. If it helps you write it, use the prayer card and the pencils because they're in... um, in the chairs in front of you, just one thing, um, take away, I'll give you a, a minute silence. What one practical thing are you taking away from Exodus? Tell you the one thing, one practical thing I've learned is that really helpful thought that you, you become what you look at. You become what you look at. Um, Jesus says the eye is the lamp of the body. Um, it's a challenge to what do you most what do you spend most of your time looking at? And if you're looking into the glory of the glory of Christ in the in the gospel uh, through the scriptures, then you become more like Christ. The Spirit of God uh, works in you to transform you in ever in, into ever increasing glory to, to to be more like Jesus. That's my practical lesson. But I hope that you've seen Jesus in Exodus. And what I want you to do is just keep on looking keep on looking because I think if you keep on looking at Christ you will be you will be transformed into ever increasing glory